Father, we thank you that we can come here this morning and we can open up your word. Thank you for your truth. Father, we just pray um, that you will soften our hearts as we listen to your word. Pray that your spirit will lead Duncan. Pray that your message will hit the spot for us this morning. Challenge us, encourage us, and build us up in your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The reading that I've got is Philippians 2, (laughs) verses 1 to 11. It is headed, imitating Christ's humility. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that it is above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. G'day everyone, great to see you this morning. Uh, We're in the second week of this short series leading up to Christmas, thinking about the incarnation, why Jesus came. Uh, What's Christmas really all about? Um, But before we get there today, uh, I wanted to share a few examples of some Christmas DIY fails. Maybe you've had something like this. So first one up there, here we go. Um, Have you ever had that kind of expectation where you try to do something really, really special and pretty for Christmas and then it turns out like this? Or the next one, maybe you you think, oh, I'm just going to bake some beautiful Christmas cookies. Uh, Or what about gingerbread houses? Uh, Go to the next one. You know, this this is the kind of consistent experience of you know of making gingerbread houses. My personal favourite though uh, is um, trying to make Santa. <laughs> there you go. Well, if you've ever had a Christmas craft fail like this, um, you might have laughed and said, "Oh well, I'm only human, right? I'm only human." <laughs> uh, and there's something really right about that, isn't there? We're all limited, we all have different strengths and weaknesses that are, and that are just part of being dependent creatures. 
You're only human. (laughs) And that means you need rest, you need relationships, it means you can't do it all, and it means for for some of us we'll never nail it at Christmas craft, and that's okay. (laughs) But sometimes that phrase, you're only human, sometimes it gets used in a more negative way, doesn't it? A more negative way. Uh, Being human means not just kind of bumbling along as a finite creature in this world, uh, but it, it, we can use it to mean something a bit darker. Um, we, we can use it to kind of justify not just Christmas craft fails, but deeper problems. So you lash out in anger and you justify it by saying, well, I'm only human. Uh, you become driven by jealousy or lust or resentment. You neglect responsibilities out of laziness. You spread hurtful gossip about someone. And you say, well, what do you expect? I'm only human. Okay, we're thinking about Christmas, as we've said. Thinking about Christmas, about why Jesus came. The birth of Jesus. Uh, Last week we saw uh, the amazing truth that Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. Uh, The the miracle of the incarnation is that God became human, that when we see Jesus, we see God in flesh. There isn't some other being hiding behind Jesus. Jesus truly reveals the Father and brings us into the family of God, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. It's amazing. So that was last week, but there is more for us to say. There's more to say. Christmas doesn't just shape, shape how we think about God. It also shapes how we think about ourselves, about what it means to be human. The stunning claim of the gospel is not just that in Jesus, God became human, but that in Jesus, God became human. God became human. That that baby squawking in a manger is truly God and truly human. And not just truly human, but the claim is he is the true human. The one who shows us what it's like to be truly, really human. Uh, This was a major cause of debate in the first few centuries after Jesus. We had a bit of fun with some church history last week. I thought we'd do it again this week. Uh, Last week we looked at a guy, I don't remember his name. We had St. Nick, and then there was Athanasius, and then there was Arius. Yes, yeah, someone said it. Um, Arius couldn't accept that it was God who became human. He couldn't accept that. So he said Jesus wasn't really God. Uh, That kind of didn't fit into his view of God. But Again, what we looked at last week is the key question is not what do I think God should or shouldn't look like? The key question is how has God actually revealed himself? And the witness of the apostles and the prophets inspired by God's spirit is that if you want to know God, you look at Jesus because the word who was with God and was God in the beginning became flesh, made his dwelling among us. Okay, so that was all recapping last week. But fast forward a few decades after Arius and Athanasius are sort of duking it out, and even St. Nick, if you remember that. Um, Fast forward a few decades. There was another theologian, a guy named Apollinarius, I think. 
Um, he swung the opposite extreme of Arius. Arius couldn't believe Jesus was God, but Apollinarius, he held firmly on to Jesus' divinity. He believed Jesus was God, but in order to do that, he said that Jesus wasn't really human. It's kind of a superhero view of Jesus. Uh, he's not really the same as the rest of us. Uh, he kind of looks like it, but Jesus' body was effectively a kind of temporary suit that the divine son wore for a few years. Um, now, this serious-looking fellow raised his eyebrow and responded. Um, his name is Gregory of Nazianzus. One of the great things about reading a bit of, uh, a bit of uh, learning a bit of church history is you get all these awesome names. So we've got here Gregory of Nazianzus. He argued against Apollinarius by making this really important statement it's on the screen. That which he has not assumed, he has not healed. What he, what he means by that is, all that we are as humans, every part of us needs saving, needs healing. We're so deeply scarred by sin that every part of us is affected. And Jesus isn't like this guy. Okay, he, he's not sort of in a hazmat suit, keeping it as ar us at arm's length. For his salvation to really reach us, he needs to really reach us because he is our salvation. Uh, he, to take on himself all that we are so that he might heal all that we are. Okay, so that's Apollinarius and Gregory. There was another thinker um, a little bit uh, around the same time, a little bit after that, a guy called Nestorius. He said, okay, okay, I can accept uh, that Christ is really God, and truly God and truly man. But he said, he's kind of like a piece of plywood. So this is the, um, uh, if you get the image, it's kind of like two persons side by side glued together. So what plywood is, these sheets of wood that are glued together. Christ is kind of like that, he, and he kind of alternates between his divine person, the Son, and his human person, Jesus. A bit like this uh, up on the, on, on the screen there. Uh, it's a bit like Jesus. Uh, the, Christ has a split personality, so he's got the eternal Son and then the human Jesus. The problem is, who dies on the cross in this? It's the human Jesus. And if it's just the human Jesus dying on the cross, it's just another man dying another unjust death, who has no power or authority to save others. It's critical that at the cross, God the Son took the penalty for sin on himself, not just Jesus the human. And the theologian who helped clarify this, uh, this is the last of these guys uh, for today, is this guy Cyril of Alexandria, another excellent name. It gets a bit technical, but he insisted that the incarnation wasn't like gluing two bits of wood together, like it wasn't plywood Jesus. Um, there is always one person, one person, the second person of the Trinity, the Word, God the Son, who in the incarnation personally united to himself flesh, humanity. He added to his person a human nature as as I said, it gets a bit technical, but um, on the screen there, uh, you can see what the kind of summary of what Cyril thought. In Jesus, it's not this kind of split thing, two persons. It's Jesus, the incarnate Son, divine and human natures united in one person. 
Okay, there's so much here that's kind of hard to get wrap our minds around and if we think about it too long, gives us a headache. But what else would you expect when you're dealing with eternal realities? But what these debates did in the early centuries of the church, it wasn't so much kind of nail down a comprehensive definition of the nature of Jesus. What they were doing is they were kind of laying out the boundaries the biblical boundaries that we need to keep within. It's like they're setting up fences, saying to go outside these, if you go outside them, you're going outside what God has revealed about himself. Um, All of this came to a resolution in the 5th century AD in 451 in a place called Chalcedon. So you might might have heard of this place, Chalcedon. And here's how they set up these fences. Again, it's, it's a bit wordy. I'm going to read... It, this is only a short section of it. I'm going to read it out. Um, don't worry if it's just washing over you, but really helpful stuff. He, that's Jesus, is of the same essence as the Father. That's that word we looked at last week, if you remember, homoousius. The same essence as the Father according to his deity. And the same one, Jesus, is the same essence, homoousius, with us according to our hum- his humanity like us in all things except sin. He was begotten before the ages from the Father according to his deity, but in the last days for us and our salvation, the same one was born of the Virgin Mary, the bearer of God, according to his humanity. He is one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, and only begotten, who is made known in two natures, United, unconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably. Like I said, a little bit wordy. But I, I mean, it's so helpful to know that we're part of this rich history of people, you know, far smarter than us, who thought far harder than us about issues far more complex than we'll ever get our heads around. But here's a bit of a summary of what they came up with. This might help you. Um, a bit, a bit more, a bit of a pictorial summary. Here's the the pastures of Chalcedon, uh, fenced in by these truths that Jesus is truly God and truly human. That is one person with two natures. Now, why is all of this important? Why are we kind of digging into this today? What's uh, again? This is not just random stuff Bible nerds debate about (laughs) that makes no practical difference to your Christian life or to thinking about God. The, The people who were debating all these in the early centuries, they knew that this was actually central. How you think about Jesus matters. You go outside these fences and you actually lose the gospel. You lose the gospel, but stay inside them and this is a keep the metaphor going, a pasture that gives life. What we're going to do over the next few weeks is kind of wander around the pasture a little bit, explore some more angles to this. But today, there are two really important outworkings of this that make a huge difference to us that are transforming truths that I just want to settle in um, for a short time. Well, um, back to Christmas crafts and Christmas tree decorating. Maybe your house looks like this. Um, Some of us are really good at this. Our family just kind of 
throws decorations at the tree and hopes they stick in some random way. Um, uh, our tree does not look like that. But here's the thing. Assuming you have a tree that's been cut down, like an actual tree, not the, the plastic sort of garbage that we have, you know, like a, a, an actual tree, assuming that you have that, no matter how much you decorate it, the reality is that tree, it's actually dying, right? Effectively, it's already a dead thing because it's been cut off from its roots, it's been cut off from its source of life, and it's destined, well, it's destined for decay, right? Now, why do I mention that? It's actually a great image for how the Bible sees humanity ever since the first humans. Uh, the Bible uses the first man, Adam, as like the representative head of humanity. It's like we're all in the Adam tree. Uh, and when he fell, we all fell. When he turned from God and cut himself off from life and light, in a very real way, we all did that in him. We're part of the Adam tree, uh, cut off from our life source. And the incredible good news of Christmas, why those early Christians cared so much about all of that stuff, is that Jesus comes as a, another, better, truer Adam. Uh, so here is another tree, right? But it's not cut off. It's not cut off from, it's from life. Here is a human who doesn't once turn from God. Not once. He lived always trusting and obeying his heavenly Father. Uh, Here's a great quote I want to share with you. It should be on the screen. By, I mentioned this author last week, Michael Reeves. He says, With a huge heart, he hated evil and felt for the needy. He loved God and he loved people. You look at him and you have to say, Here is a man truly alive, unwithered in any way, far more vital and vigorous, far more full and complete, far more human than any other. So that's Jesus. But Jesus, he doesn't just come as this perfect human, this new Adam, to kind of rub our noses in it. Um, no, he, he comes as the representative, the new Adam, the new head of a new humanity. And he invites everyone to be connected to him, to kind of, come out of the tree of Adam and be grafted into the Jesus tree, to come and find life and love in him. So Paul can write this in 1 Corinthians 15. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, that's Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ, those who are united to him, all will be made alive. So maybe you're not a Christian yet this morning and you're with us. Becoming a Christian, that's, this is a good way to think about it actually, is being grafted out of the Adam tree into the Jesus tree. 
being reconnected to the, to the true human who by his spirit promises to make you more like him, more fully and truly human yourself. And friends, all of these things come together in a really striking way in the passage that was read for us and that our home groups have looked at this week from Philippians 2. Uh, there, are, so, there are issues going on in this church in Philippi that Paul's writing to. And what Paul does here is so important. He goes to Jesus. He sees Jesus' life as setting this, this model, this pattern for us to follow. So he says in verse 5 of chapter 2, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." What's being described here in these verses is what one, another author, a guy called Paul Miller, he, he calls the J-curve. I kind of like that. And, and here's the J-curve of Philippians 2. Uh, Jesus' life ha is shaped like a J. Can you see that? This one who was in very nature God took to himself the very nature of a servant. He came low. Took on, he took on humanity. The creator entered into creation. That's the wonder of the incarnation. But not just that, he went even lower. You notice that? He keeps going down and down, right to the depths. He humbles himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. But of course, you look at the other side of that. That's not the end of the story. Paul goes on in verse 9. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place. And gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus' life has this J-curve shape to it. Down, then up. Death, then resurrection. Um. This is how C.S. Lewis describes this. And I'll just I'll read this out. It's not on the screen. Just um, listen. He says, In the Christian story, God descends to reascend. He comes down, down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity, down to the very roots and seabed of the nature he has created. He goes down to come up again and bring the ruined world up with him. He goes down to come up again and bring the ruined world up with him. Uh, Lewis uses this image, this uh, example of like a diver. He says, think of a diver first reducing himself to nakedness and then glancing in midair, then gone with a splash, vanished, rushing down through green and warm water into black and cold water, down through increasing pressure into the death-like region of ooze and slime and old decay. You picture this diver going down, down, down. And then up again, 
back to colour and light, his lungs almost bursting, till suddenly he breaks the surface again, holding in his hand the dripping precious thing that he went down to recover. He and it are both coloured now that they have come up into the light. Down below where it lay colourless in the dark, he lost his colour too. So, you know, it's, a, it's an example, it's an image, doesn't capture everything. It doesn't go to the level of self-giving Jesus went to. Uh, he didn't just dive, he died. But it's a great image of Jesus, right, descending of this Jacob of Philippians 2, Jesus descending down to the ruined world to bring it up with him. So, friends, Jesus did this for you. Jesus did this for you. And it is a gift. It's a gift for you to simply receive by faith. Uh, to be plucked up by Jesus and grafted into the Jesus tree, to be born again into his family. It's a gift to receive. But it's also a pattern of life that Jesus leads us in. Those of us who are united to him by faith. That's Paul's whole point, actually, in Philippians. That's why he begins this chapter saying this. We had it read out. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, with that one, if you have any comfort in his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In other words, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus. The same mindset as Jesus Christ. Imagine a community like that. How beautiful and life-giving. A community without selfish ambition, without pride. A community of people in humility valuing others above themselves, looking out for each other, Living out the, this J-curve together, this death and resurrection of Jesus. Friends, that's God's design for his church. We'll never get there fully in this age, but that's, that's God's design, to be a snapshot of the new creation of people living more fully human lives than anywhere else because they're united to Jesus, the true human of people learning from him, trusting and obeying him, giving ourselves for one another in love. It's just really helpful to kind of reframe our thinking when we think about what it means to be only human, to not sort of use that as a justification for sin. That's your fallen humanity in Adam. But it's not real humanity. Jesus leads you into a life that's far more glorious and beautiful and far more human. I think one of the lies Satan wants us to believe is that this life of humility and of self-giving love, 
of dependence on God through, through suffering. I think one of the lies Satan wants us to believe, wants you and I to believe, is that that actually is just a dead end, that way of life. And, and actually, if you follow that, you'll become less human. You'll lose your humanity. You'll lose yourself. And if there's no other side to that J-curve, if there's no resurrection, that's completely right. That's right, actually, if there's no resurrection. So you should be bitter or resentful about suffering or hardship. You're right to be cynical in your relationships with each other and with God. But friends, Christmas the good new- and the good news of Easter that it leads us to and that Philippians 2 talks about, this is the great cure for our cynicism, for our bitterness, for our resentment. See what this Christmas proclaims? This baby in a manger actually proclaims that this is real life. That the selfish versions of life that we pursue are actually just weak shadows of the real thing. The one who was made who was highest made himself lowest out of love. The one who had life in himself gave up his life. The true human lived a life, a, a life of joyful love for God and for mankind, and that led him all the way to the cross. But he was not abandoned there. That wasn't the end. And here's where this hits home for us, friends. If, if you are in him, if you're in the Jesus tree, if you're not united to him by faith, just like he wasn't abandoned, you won't be either. You won't be. Uh, you might feel like you're in the pit right now. I know that there are some here who do. Jesus has gone ahead of you. And he is there with you now. And there may even be depths of relationship with him that can only be found precisely when you're in the pit, in, on the dying side of the J-curve. An experience of dependence on God alone and not anything else or anyone else that leads you to a deeper thankfulness for what Jesus has done for you, a deeper love for him, a deeper trust of him, a, a deeper humanity. But the wonder of the gospel is that those who die with Christ will also rise with him. Will rise with him. And that might actually, you know, that resurrection future breaks into the present here and now. I think God delights to bring kind of mini, mini resurrections in our life. They, they can be different to the ones that we wanted. And they don't happen on our time scale usually, but they're always surprising and wonderful to, and to kind of watch out for. But the fullness of this resurrection hope will certainly come in the new creation when the risen Lord welcomes you into a life more fully human than you have ever experienced before.
Uh, a few paragraphs after Paul wrote this incredible passage we're looking at, he talks about his own life and how Paul, his own life had this same J shape to it. Um, it's a passage we looked at a couple of months ago here. I just want to read a couple of verses to finish up. And I want to encourage us to take these on our own lips as our prayer, as your prayer, that as we do that, God would lead us into a deeper humanity as we live out our union with the true man, with Jesus. Uh, so from Philippians 3, verses 10 and 11, Paul writes, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Let me pray. Lord, we want to know Christ. We know that our humanity is fallen. This world is fallen, and in Adam all die. What an incredible, wonderful, liberating truth to know that in Christ all will be made alive. That Jesus comes not only as the one who reveals you to us, our Father, but the one who reveals ourselves to ourselves, the one who reveals true humanity and shows us what it looks like to live independent, thankful, joyful trust and obedience to you. Thank you that he did that for us. Thank you that by grace we can be grafted into the Jesus tree, that we can become one with him. Lord, make us, change us, we pray. Make us more and more like Jesus. Help us by your grace, we pray. And this Christmas, we ask that as we reflect on this wonderful news of the coming of our Lord, uh, that it might not only be something that kind of settles in our minds, but shapes our hearts, that shapes our very lives. Help us in those moments where we feel like it's kind of a death to know that you are there with us. Uh, and we look forward to your resurrecting power at work in us today, and but most wonderfully on the day when Jesus returns. Give us eyes to look for that and to see it and to yearn for it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.